This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn here on Mitch Marathon Month. That sounds like a guy on, on the morning zoo. Am I, am I supposed to be a morning zoo guy? I, I, I don't think so. That, that's high intensity, and I'm, I'm not high intensity. I'm just meat and potatoes. Yeah, that's it. The meat and potatoes guy who just gives you interviews that are, well, meat and potatoes. They're solid. Anyway, uh, on this one, this is, this is going to be a short one because, you know, on, on Mitch Marathon Month, you can't have one-hour episodes every day because, well, I'm going to go crazy if I do that. So uh, I will and, – and listen, I'm, I'm very close to that already. Uh, I have got Slim Jim Phantom of the uh, Stray Cats. And, of course, the Stray Cats have been around for, well, 40 years. Their new album and tour – well, the new album is called 40, and they are out on the road touring it. A little bit of a reunion tour. The band and Brian Setzer haven't really done anything together in many, many years. And it's nice to see. Now, I have to say, growing up a, a Kiss fan, an Aerosmith fan, you know, when you came from Aerosmith Rocks and – and Draw the Line, and uh, Kiss Alive 2, and Love Gun, and Rock and Roll Over. And you started moving into the early 80s, and you saw, uh, I'm going to rock this town, and Stray Cat Strut. I was very much uh, baffled by by the whole experience at the time. And I, I don't know if you were baffled, or if you became an immediate fan, but I was like, well, what, what, what is this? And I had a friend uh, at the time, in fact, still a friend, he uh, works for Global News in Montreal now. Huh? Huh? He also had a successful broadcasting career. His name was Tim Sargent. He was like, oh, man, this is great. It's better than Kiss. And he was doing that to tease me, of course. Go, it's better than Kiss. Uh, they don't need makeup. Uh. And even though he was teasing me, it, it sort of made me pay attention. And, you know, when you listen to Stray Cat Strut, like I said, and you listen to Rock This Town, you, you can't deny that those are great songs. And, and you know, it doesn't really matter if you're uh, Demo Borgir or Cradle of Filth or Kiss or, or, or Madonna. A good song is a good song is a good song. And and if it, it gets your toes tapping and if it just puts you in a good mood, puts a smile on your face or gets you into the whatever mood you're trying to get into, it's a good song. And, and you, you, the, you know, the Stray Cats have an undeniable um, track record for having good songs. Now, the new album, 40... Uh, you can go get it now. You can stream it. You can buy it. You can do whatever you want. It it sounds like the Stray Cats, as it should. And it is a fun, you know, especially for the summer. I think if you drop this album in the middle of December or, you know, January 10th, uh, probably not going to speak to somebody sitting in, uh, you know, the, the frozen tundra or, or, or Minnesota or, or the backwoods of, of Quebec. You know, that's not the kind of happy kind of music you want to hear at minus 35 degrees. But at 80 degrees or whatever, 28 degrees in Celsius, uh, Stray Cats are fun. So, you know, uh, head over to the Twitter. That's where I really like to sort of go back and forth. You know, the Facebook I, I find clunky sometimes. But Twitter, at Mitch LaFon, at Mitch LaFon. Tell me what you think of the Stray Cats. And, of course, while you're on the Internet, eh, huh? huh? Gratuitous, gratuitous plug here coming. No excuse for you not to head over to loudtracks.com forward slash Mitch and pick up a fabulous t-shirt. Now, I have the t-shirts in the classic, you know, metal uh, black 
you know, just a black T-shirt with the logo uh, designed, of course, by Claudio Bergman, who did Judas Priest Firepower. And yes, I say that every time, but, but deservingly so. But it brings up a question I have thought, especially for the summer, maybe I should have a white tee with the logo on it, a white tee with the logo, because I'm thinking at 80 degrees or 90 degrees or in Celsius, you know, 28 degrees or 35 degrees, hot sun, perhaps, perhaps a black rock talk shirt is not the best accoutrement. Maybe we should go for a nice white. So again, head over to Twitter at Michelin and tell me what you think. Now, uh, like I said at the beginning of the episode, this is a hit and run in and out. Uh, I believe uh, Slim Jim and I spoke for 21 minutes. He was calling just before the first show over in England. Uh, so, so cell phone uh, reception from England, you know, a California cell phone connected through the English thing, uh, calling Canada, huh, you know. Uh, 21 minutes. Uh, so I will I will give you Slim Jim here, and uh, and I will be back uh, tomorrow, I guess, with another episode. Now, I've got a few in the can. I've got uh, Sherry Curry. I've got Gary uh, Peel from uh, Sammy Hagar's band in Boston. Uh, all the ones I had listed in the previous. And, um, oh, and, and I want to get to this. Uh, Ted Nugent. Uh, folks said, don't talk to Ted Nugent. He's a horrible person. And I go, okay, but he's a great guitarist and I do a rock show, so I'm going to talk to him. And uh, during the interview, if you listened, and I'm hoping you listened, by the way, you really should, if you can, uh, head over to iTunes or uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, or whatever, and subscribe to the podcast because, uh, and I love all the media sites that, that pick up, you know, the rock sites and stuff that pick up my stuff, but they don't pick up all the content. Um, and to be fair, nor do I expect them to because there's a lot of content. And of course, uh, some of the interviews uh, don't necessarily fit those sites. And so, but if you want all the content, and remember those rock sites are looking for news. So when I'm speaking to a producer like uh, Ron Nevison or Tom Worman and stuff, it doesn't really qualify as news. And so they won't pick it up. So if you want all the content, uh, head over to, uh, you know, CastBox and, and Stitcher and TuneIn and iHeartRadio and Spotify and iTunes and, and Amazon Alexa and all those places and hit the little button that says subscribe. Uh, that is uh, that is important. And then you get everything. Now, we do have Mitch Marathon Month, which is going to run uh, until I run out of these interviews. But honestly, we're looking a couple more weeks here in July uh, or coming up in July and then we'll be done August, September, October. We will be back to one episode a week, probably two. But honestly, as September rolls around and, and the touring season comes to a, to a close slowly and the kids get back into school, we will probably get back to one episode a week. Uh, but uh, for now, just indulge me because this is an indulgence to do this. Uh, anyway, uh, Mitch Marathon Munch continues here with... Slim Jim Phantom of uh, the Stray Cats. Oh, and by the way, what I was talking about, Ted Nugent, I just want to say, uh, if you were listening to that during the interview, he said, you know what would be really cool is if you got Tom Worman on the phone and we did a Tom and Ted uh, producer talking music thingy-majiggy. Well, guess what? I did exactly what I said I was going to do. Reached out to Tom. He said, sure, no problem. Reached out to Linda and said, what times, uh, uh, Ted's assistant, uh, what times do you have? She said, these are the times I have. I went back to Tom. I said, these are the times that are offered. 
and we came to an agreement. So uh, I will be recording an episode of Ted Nugent and Tom Werman talking together. And you see, that's the kind of episode, by the way, that is not going to be picked up by the rock sites because it's not immediate news of stuff happening right now today. You know, uh, Tom and Ted are not making a new record today. They're not going on tour tomorrow. So uh, if you want to hear all the content, please subscribe. Um, anyway, at Mitch Lafon on Twitter, loudtracks at trax.com if you want a really cool t-shirt. In fact, if you want to bring your sexy up, right? It, look, it's working for me. You've seen me in, on, on the internet with my shirt. It's, okay, all right, just buy the, dan- buy the darn shirt. Uh, anyway, here we go. Here is uh, the one, uh, the only, uh, snare drummer extraordinaire. No, I kid. Uh, drummer extraordinaire. Slim Jim Phantom. We are speaking with the Stray Cats. Slim Jim Phantom, the new album, is 40. And uh, Jim, I think the most important part there is to say new album, right? Uh, first of all, welcome. Yeah. But, but let's talk about this. It's been over a quarter century. And fans have been waiting. And last time we spoke, I asked you about it. And I don't want to say you were hemming and hawing, but it was like, well, you know, if it happens, we'll see, Brian. And But here it is. So so talk to me about this album and actually getting in the studio with the guys and laying down new music. You mean the album that's number one in the Billboard rock chart? You bet. That one. That one. The number one <laughs> album. <laughs> Well, you know, before you get to that, how important is Billboard still to you? Well, it's important when they call you up and say, hey, it's the number one rock album in America, you know. And there's five other people you've heard of who are all two, three, four, five, you know. It's important, man, yeah. If they called up and said, oh, it's number 186, then it doesn't matter. But when they call and say it's number one, it does matter for sure. Uh, it was good because no one was expecting it, so I, I didn't even know about that kind of. I, I hadn't even really thought about it. Um, but the record we thought a lot about, it, it, as usual with the Stray Cats, when things might take. Uh, they when when things happen, it happens very quickly. Um, we had done a couple shows last year, but the first one was it was like celebration of all things rockabilly when we first started doing this forty years ago. Um, there wasn't a fourth rockabilly person that we knew. It was the three of us, and we just loved the um, loved the whole thing about it, the the music and the and the style and the perceived life that it was. You know, we thought life was we wanted to lead life like Elvis Presley did in Memphis in 1955. You know, that's what we wanted to be, and um, and it got successful, and it was just a big uh, big whirlwind. And um, so this last year. They had a show in Las Vegas that was like a celebration of all things rockabilly, and we kind of felt very responsible for the whole thing. So we decided to do to do the show, and it was a big success. It was you know, twenty thousand kids there. All uh, it looked like the opening ceremony at the Olympics. All the flags from all the country with the straight cat's head in the middle of it. So it was very very touching. We all had a kind of had a good moment from that, and then um, we played two more shows over the summertime in LA and they were very successful and very emotional for everyone again. And then Brian, right after the show started getting in touch and said, I wrote a couple of songs. It might fit straight cats. You want to try to, uh, do you like them? And he would send very rough demos, him, him and his acoustic guitar, or him and uh, just a guitar. And, um, 
we came up with parts and then really we had, he wrote very furiously and we had about 10, 12 songs right away. And then we decided to make a record. He said, you want to make a record? I said, let's do it. And it happened very quickly from there. So by the, the gigs were in August and we were in the studio by October. Wow. That, that's amazing. So, so when things happen, they happen fast. And, um, it was a very nice experience because we had that whole month. Everyone was very prepared and um, we had kind of a normal schedule in the studio, which is the past things are a bit more haphazard and you know, start things at 10 o'clock at night. Not the, and this, we were, we worked every day and took a break and had lunch and everyone, you know, we went home for dinner and came back the next day. It was all very, um, uh, very organized, very prepared. Which is nice. Okay, so you mentioned the, the, the celebration of rockabilly. So I'll ask you this. How important do you think the Stray Cats were in keeping rockabilly alive and and visible and viable? Because here you are in 1979, you're starting out, 1981, the first album. The scene was certainly, I don't want to say dying, but or maybe maybe dying, maybe non-existent. And you're in the midst of, you know, Casey and the Sunshine Band and Kiss Dynasty and The Knack and all this stuff. Um, how important was your band in keeping the movement and that music and that style of music alive? Oh, I think it was the most important of any band ever, really. Um, I, I I don't know of anyone else that did it, uh, kept it alive to that um extent and it was very important to us we really wanted to we were very um you know evangelical about it you know we 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 were very into it very young but we loved it and you know the proof is that it's still that that there is a scene now when we started it in new york there was no scene we came to london and there was a bit of a scene the more teddy boy like rockabilly hadn't really been seen yet i think that the, you know i think some punk rockers um Maybe made the made the switch, or um, but uh, but it was something that got created. I think maybe there was a little bit of a spread of it in England, but not really anywhere that we saw in New York. Um, uh, and I think it we plugged in everything. I got to know quite a few of the original artists, and uh, uh, they all said to us that thanks, you guys, for really not only creating a new series, but just like a whole new interest in it. Like we plugged in a lot of the old artists, there was, um, they were able to go play. Yeah. No. Original guys from Sun Records that, like, a lot of them hadn't played in a long time. They were very, very important people, I thought, we thought. And I think everyone got plugged in again from it. Okay, so so talk to me, as young guys back then, and you saw what was going on, you, you, you saw the new wave was coming, the British heavy, uh, the, the new wave of British, he, he, British heavy metal, boy, I can't say that today, was coming, all, uh, Journey was out there, R.E.O.S.B. Why not just become a rock band? Was it was there a, a danger or, or was there a risk in doing rockabilly? Or you really believe that if you do what's in your heart, you will succeed? Yeah, I think what you just said, yes, that 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 if you do in your heart you will succeed because that's that's what we we were always thinking that we would that that the audience would come and i can't even say that we thought about it that deeply it 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 was more me personally i can only speak from me that i knew i always wanted to be in a band of some sort i could i could do the drama i thought of early early age oh, i can handle that i could do that i couldn't really play the piano now, now i'm having i'm having a hard time hearing you 
Um, there we go. We really thought that if we just did what we did, that it was going to come. We uh, we didn't. It was never really a question to be like any of those other bands. I I like all bands. I I, I was never really against any specific kind of um, music. Um, rock really spoke to me very early because I I always liked the blues and um, I taken lessons from a you know jazz kind of guy you know near our house and. Um, when I heard rockabilly music, it kind of brought it all together for me. And I, I liked the Rolling Stones. I liked the Beatles. I liked the, you know, the Kinks and the Who. I, I liked all the uh, classic British rock bands. Um, and it was to me a little bit of homework that got me there. You see who they liked and just really follow the thread. And when we arrived at rockabilly music, we, we all at the same time, the um, three of us. And, it was something I thought, wow, we can do this. And when we were three of the like mind and we did it, we knew it was great right away. And we always, always believed in it. Yeah. Day one. Yeah. And it turned Very out great. Strong. Now I know we've only got 20 minutes here, so I'm going to just quickly jump around and we'll get back to 40 in a second. But, sure. uh, in the two uh, thousands, you, you got together with Lemmy of Motorhead and, uh, Danny Harvey. Yeah. And you did the headcat. Yeah. Um, first of all, talk to me about about working with Lemmy. He, he's revered as a heavy metal god, as he should be, by the way. Um, and you're a rockabilly guy, so so talk to me about this combination. And then, of course, you put together this sort of rockabilly group. So you, you've got Lemmy doing, you know, um, not metal. What talk to me about that and working with him, and maybe just a little remembrance of Lemmy. Uh, you know, of course, oh, rest in peace. Sure, happily. Um, Lemmy was one of my best friends. That was the, the main nucleus of the whole thing. I, I, he, he was one of the original people that came to see the Stray Cats play 40 years ago. Lemmy was there. Um, and I'm in London when I did this interview. And it's funny, it kind of did an old stomping ground was in before. Um, it, when the Stray Cats play came to London, there was a bit of a buzz about it. Two guys who had where to live and they were hanging around everywhere and they were, you know, their hair was all high and they were pink suits. And it was just a bit of a crazy um, a image that we had around London. And when we finally got a chance to play a couple of shows, the scene stereotypes, you know, people that we had met at parties and a few clubs came out to see it. And Lemmy was one of them. And he was at one of the very first straight cat shows and loved it. And, uh, I met him afterwards and he asked me some question about like an obscure Gene Vincent record. I didn't know it. And he was all like, couldn't believe you call yourself a rockabilly. <laughs> and he, we, uh, a, the next day we met up or something and he made, uh, he had a, a, a reel to reel tape of Gene Vincent and he made me listen to it and burned me a copy by holding a microphone attached to a cassette player in front of his reel to reel. So he loved this music. That's it. That's the real thing about Rockabilly, which you know, is that it's not, whether or not it's the Beatles or Motorhead, or none of it was created in a vacuum. It all has a, um, a, a, a beginning. And like you trace all of this back, and it goes, it all, all roads lead to Eddie Cochran. And Lemmy um, loved that stuff. And as the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and the Kinks and well, any one of the classic rock bands, they um, all roads lead back to, to Eddie Cochran. 
Um, so Lenny and I had a very strong friendship for 20 years before we ever worked together. Um, and uh, this was would have been in the 80s when I first met him, 1980. And he moved to L.A. And just by happenstance, he lived across the street from me. And so we were very, very close for uh, a long time. And um, it, the opportunity came up to do one track for a tribute record. Elvis Presley. It was a, something that came my way, and I just, well, who do I know that loves Elvis? So I got um, Lemmy, and Danny Harvey's a guitar player, a guy that I knew, was very good studio, kind of since I called him in to do the, um, to do the guitar and the um, recording of it. And we had a studio book, and we did it very quickly. It was one song, we did it in 10 minutes, I already knew the song. And um, so we had another five hours on the session, so we just kept going. We recorded a few more songs. Let's come back the next day. Can we get the studio the next day. Yeah, sure. So that was the genesis of it. We just went into one track and wound up um, making an album. And the, the thing with those classic English guys, especially, is that they love this stuff. And for them to get an opportunity to really play that music, they they love it. They really do. And um, that's why I think a lot of them were were drawn to the straight path. They saw it as kind of the original, the closest thing to being the original. And, and, and they love it. So, um, you know, Lemmy weren't going to go play, uh, go bowling with Lemmy, you know, what you do is you go play rock and roll with friendship. So for me, that's how it manifested. Our friendship manifested in Headcat. It was a great project. So I remember being sent, I think it was Cleopatra Records that put it out, right? Uh, sent me a promo and I was like... Uh, they what? put out the first one, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, what is that? It's all gold and it's all... Anyway, um, just real quick, uh, the tour for the Stray Cats right now runs from the end of June to the end of August, beginning of September. Is that it? Yeah. Is that the run or is that just leg number one? Do we see Do we see more shows coming down the pike? I would think so. I would hope so. Um, I think everyone's going to have a good time. It's, that's, I think the first run was last year. We did like four shows last year and that led to uh, making the record and that led to doing this tour. Um, so I got to think as long as everyone's having fun and the record's successful, that it's, I think everyone's arrived at a point that they really enjoy it and they see it and there's really nothing left to prove. There's no pressure on that level. Um, so I think as long as it's fun and successful, everyone will keep doing it. So, so let me ask you then, in relation to a new album, though, because you could go do these dates, whether it's in uh, uh, you know, Europe or in North America, you could go out and play Stray Cat Strut, you could go do Rock This Town, Sure. And the fans would sure. be there. So why the importance to make new music? Is it just to, to get those creative juices flowing? Is it sort of just to say, hey, we're a band, and if we're going to tour, then we need something to unify around, and new music is it? What's, you know, and I, and I don't mean to I be disparaging. I think you yeah. made just two very good points there, yeah. Um, it started when we did the first few shows last year, it, it like was very clear that it was going to be successful if we wanted to do it because I think the world needs bands right now, and um, we certainly paid our twos kind of thing. Um, um, so I, it was very important that if we're going to go and do this, let's put some new songs in the set. So that was really the the whole um, inspiration in the first place was to make a record just to get four or five new songs. 
that we could possibly play live. And then it took on a bit more of a serious nature, and now that it seems to be doing well, right. um, uh, I think it wasn't, really at first, it wasn't about having to do new songs to make it a successful tour. It was about making it more interesting for us to do some new songs. And then that translates onto the audience. I think they're very appreciative um, that you made a new record and just didn't go out and do that. I think the audience is appreciative of that. Um, you still, um, I think you still have to play the old hits as as you should. Like you go to see the stars and you want to hear Satisfaction, you want to hear a new song too, but you have to. There's a reason why those songs is uh, classic after 30 plus years, right? Um, uh, so I think it's um, I think it's important for everyone. I think it's important for the audience, and I think it's important for the band to keep it a little bit interesting and um, like a little new. And keep it fresh. Thing. It's, you know, but I think it's good in, to keep it fresh positively. I agree. And, um, just before, I'm, I'm doing a clock watching here. So uh, but before we leave, uh, a stray cat strut my life as a rockabilly rebel. Now, we did an interview a couple of years ago and we spoke about that. But I will ask you again, just for, for listeners that may not have heard it. Um, talk about that book and putting it out. And now, and now, in fact, with the optics of you're on a, on a lack of a better word, a reunion tour, did did, did did the other guys read the book and go, hey, wait a minute, what what did you say about me? Uh, and you wrote the whole thing yourself. There's no phantom writer on this one, right? No, no, that was the thing that I wanted to positively do myself. Uh, I think really all that, but that a publisher wanted something sensational. Which I didn't really I'm having a little hard time hearing you, by uh, the way. Um, I think go. they want more sensationalism in a book, really. I, I don't think I do too much of that. Um, the others, I don't think read it, no. I don't think they would. Um, it's never been discussed. And I just really probably agree with that. And, and I say nice things about everyone, really. I, 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 I love those guys. And we always, I feel very strongly, always have, that, we, that I owe them uh, like a very nice life. Anything that's ever happened to me, you can't really go back and say what we we were the straight cats since we were eighteen years old. So it's pretty much the rest of your life in some way gets defined by that. Everyone that you met is after that. I mean, I don't know anyone who before then really. Um, so this great adventure that we've had is pretty much a direct result of the three of us loving rockabilly music at the same time and going to the same school. So I will um, um, always feel feel grateful to be with them. Yeah, you really are. And uh, and I'll finish with just just real quick the uh, the drumming style. You, you know, you see guys like uh, Neil Peart in Rush and 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 stuff that have eighty seven drums on stage. You're you're the exact opposite. Just sort of the snare and a cymbal. Was that a, a conscious decision just for, for image, or is that just the sound, or was there ever a temptation to get a big, gigantic kit, you know, and be like a John Bonham and just have... Uh, just talk to me about the sort of the, the drumming choice, if you wanted, being a stand-up drummer. Well, I wanted to be a drummer on any level when I first started, um, and I took lessons on drum kits, and I still play drum kits at home, and a lot of gigs I do, I... Uh, Original inspiration of it was um, some old photographs and some um, 
really the original American rockabilly artists, rock and roll artists, seeing the pictures of Gene Vincent and the Blue Caps and um, 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 the smallest of the tape really, you know, the guys, they really played crab rock kids. They were, it really wasn't that much different, but when we first started, we really wanted to to, to harken back to those original records as much as we could, and um, part of it was the, um, was very trip down drum kit, and my more inspiration would have been Sticky Hell from the Blue Caps. And uh, I think the second album covers is just playing the snare drum and, and, and it looks like he's standing up and we thought that was it. And there really wasn't that many photographs back then. Right. And um, that's, that's what we thought it was. And um, the idea to put it at the front of the stage, that was, I think, our true original contribution to the whole thing because no one had done that. I think they'd be we're playing smaller drum kits, um, but still in the second line, still behind the, um, the um, soloist and the singer. Um, so it, that was a conscious thing that we thought, what can we do to make this a little bit different? And all of it was directly rebellion, but it's kind of like old drummers, so it, it, it wasn't really rebellion against that. It was so much, uh, uh, we really just wanted to be different, not really much against anything. So um, I, I love the impression. <laughs> all those guys. Yeah. all like each other, like watching for different reasons, you know. Um, I like every drummer. But we think it wasn't that long. I think it was an extension of the drums. It was just that, you know, the whole thing was for the drums, whether it was 10 drums or two drums, it was all for the, you know, for the drums. For us. Well, worked out great. And of course, uh, I'll remind the folks, the new album is 40. It is out on, uh, well, it's number one on uh, Billboard right now. The tour starts in a couple of weeks, or in fact, at the end of this week. Um, there you go, Jim. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mitch. We'll talk, we'll talk again. We'll see you on Twitter. Yeah, sure will. Cheers. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk.